Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. The nice weather's come back, at least here in the southeast. Yeah, well, you've been away yesterday as well, haven't you? You've been uh, gallivanting in London. Yeah, in London. Uh, £20 glass of wine in Mayfair. Um, uh, yeah, my, uh, my, my wallet hurts more than my hair this morning. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and uh, by Luke Perry, Luke, have you had any expensive exploits recently or just staying in the house? No, I, I, I have been out to the pub, but not some swanky London wine bars. And to, for a counterpoint about the uh, the weather in the southeast, which is, is is my original home, but currently in the West Midlands, it is um, a bit grey. Good, good that the pubs are open indoors. Very nice where I am. So, yeah, you Midlands, two always get it lucky. Midlands for the up. There you are. Well, we're going to start as always. Episode twenty one, I think this is, and I, I don't believe there's an episode where we've missed the opportunity to talk at least for ten minutes about COVID. So we'll start with a COVID update now. Usually what happens is that we record an episode, briefly touch on a certain topic, and then 10 minutes after we finish recording, uh, there's some breaking news about that topic, which completely changes what we've said. But this time we've been lucky. Um, I delayed the beginning of the, the meeting slightly, and that, that seems to have worked in our favour since it's just been revealed by the iPaper uh, that whilst Michael Gove said yesterday, who he's leading basically the review of COVID vaccine passports, whilst he said vax passports hang in the balance because the benefits or the alleged benefits i should say um sort of counter against a lot of uh upheaval that might follow from it and discomfort so it, it hangs in the balance yet we've now learned that ministers have already signed a number of covid vaccine passport deals one of which is worth up to 21 million pounds it's for renewable uh, vaccine passports and best of all it can be renewed every year so the, the idea that, that Gove is sort of being a bit coy about vaccine passports seems to be uh, a game of smoke and mirrors. The decision uh, has already, I think, been made. I remember Fraser Nelson for The Spectator writing maybe two months ago that ministers have already made up their mind about this. So why we've had this whole pantomime over the, the past two months saying, well, we might have them, we might not, we, we might have them here, maybe not there, uh, seems really to be quite pathetic. And whilst we're supposed to hear by the end of this month, whether or not plans are going to be going ahead with, I think we already know the answer. They will be. The the water in which the frog sits is rapidly approaching boiling point. <laughs> this has happened so slowly and the, the, the tone of the government has changed so incrementally that we're now looking down the barrel of effectively papers, please, comrade. And it's it, it, at this point, it feels un, that we can't stop it. Um, Gove obviously went over to Israel where they had green passes, um, which have now been rescinded in Israel. So they, they've they've abolished those. So um, for now, though, they did say that if, if cases increase, that they would be happy to reintroduce them. Uh, so it's a bit of a it's one of those cases where reading the headline isn't enough. You've got to scroll down, mm. and then you'll then you won't be surprised when two months later the the decision's been changed. Mm. <laughs> well, it, it, it points to the key problem, which everything, everything to do with this goes back to one core thing, which is the COVID Act in, in, in Parliament, yeah. which gives the government rule by decree. It completely sidesteps what is supposed to be our, our voice in, in Parliament, which is, you know, our MPs who we elect to vote for on our behalf. Now the government's ruling by decree with not a single vote um, to confirm any of these things, apart from the 
renewal of the COVID Act. So, um, yeah, for as, for as long as that ghastly law is in place, then we, we're going to keep getting uh, hit by this sort of thing. Mm. And then speaking of um, rhetoric changing so slowly, yet, yet so dramatically, the um, most libertarian prime minister ever, Boris Johnson, once said that if ID cards were introduced, granted, under Blair, but if ID cards were introduced, he'd have ripped them up and eat them with his with his um frosty jakes or something <laughs> so um and but now uh i think that uh we has sort of hit the nail on, on the head with with the covid act absolute power corrupts absolutely and uh, the government after, after i think they were surprised that they were able to attain these powers. And, and then neil ferguson said that he'd never imagined envisaged that a lockdown would happen in the uk but then when they saw Italy do it, that sort of set the dominoes in place. Mm. So we're, we're sort of, yeah, I think we've been at boiling point for a few months now, so we can expect to cook from here on out. Yeah, well, I think that's an important point on Italy. I mean, what Neil Ferguson said was that, you know, China could do lockdowns. It's the sort of thing that China would do. But in Britain, no, people would be too against it. But as you say, when Italy introduced theirs, it was the tipping point. Um, and of course, many countries have introduced now, including sort of westernized countries, vaccine passport schemes. Um, so whether or not that, again, will act as a tipping point, whether ministers are, are looking at the introduction of passports, as, as you said, Sam, in Israel, as an example, even though they've since rescinded it, um, whether or not that is going to set the government into thinking, well, it's been accepted there, I'm sure it will be accepted here, I think is quite likely. Um, and, and of course, the justification for this is less and less about COVID itself, or at least the original strain, uh, since um, great swathes of the nation have now been vaccinated and most of the population wants to be vaccinated, even if they've not yet had the opportunity. Uh, but the fear instead, or at least the, the excuse that's being given at every turn for extending lockdown, for maintaining social distance, for carrying on wearing a mask, and of course, for vaccine passports, is new variants. Um, now, the, the Indian variant is supposedly the dominant variant now in the UK, uh, but whilst cases rise slightly, um, deaths remain low, most days in single figures. So why the fear is still there, I do not know. But of course, given that the, the fear is perhaps dwindling slightly around the Indian variant, and many even in SAGE are saying, actually, it probably isn't going to affect deaths that much. A new variant has sprung up, this time the Thai variant. We, we said this would happen uh, last week, although we, we didn't mention where from. Maybe we should do that as a game at the end of each episode. Mm -hmm. should, should we take odds? Yeah. Like two, two to one, it comes from Asia. Three to one, South America. <laughs> Absolutely. If we're, if we're going down in the madness for decades we might as well make some money out of it so yeah the, the the fear continues because of this and, and one of the main questions in people's minds i think is whether the last step of the lockdown is going to take place on the 21st of june um Niall ferguson uh, professor lockdown as the male calls him uh, even though it supports most of his beliefs um says that restrictions could actually need to be tightened rather than loosened and other members of sage say we need to be more careful so i think boris has said let's wait and see um and we should find out on the 14th but i don't know about you two i'm not particularly hopeful about it mm. dates not no, dates michael dates not dates yeah if only well it's it's just 
fear and hysteria above all mm. that's the most appropriate catchphrase of this pandemic mm. well, and, uh, it, it, it depends who you ask you know i, I the, the thai variant does not concern me in the least i mean I, c considering what happened with the kent variant the south african variant the indian variant the uh yeah it's it's it, it's it's what's going to happen is there's going to be a week of fear. The, the numbers aren't going to correspond to the fear. They'll backtrack, and then in, in, in two weeks' time, there'll be a new variant to 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 point at and scream. And the thing is, with, with the new variants, is all the experts come out and say, "Well, we we don't know how effective the vaccine can be against this." So that's why everything's put on hold. That's why oh, we might delay the 21st of June or even tighten restriction. Hmm. Also, they seem just quickly. They seem amazingly reluctant to say just how effective the vaccine is against new variants, but they're absolutely confident uh, that it works and is safe among, say, children and pregnant women. Why, um, why they're so confident on, on one and not on the other when, when final trials haven't yet been conducted, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it made me laugh, actually, the, the latest vaccine just before we started talking uh, to be approved for use in the UK is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which has been met by equal amounts of controversy is the AstraZeneca vaccine in the US uh, because of its links to blood clotting. So I'm sure, I'm sure the press will like whipping up fear about that um, when it does start to, to be used here. But um, the, the regulators will carry on saying that people uh, can use it, even say pregnant women, younger people who are more at risk from blood clotting, despite all this. And mm. in, in, in the Going back a bit, speaking of experts, you mentioned uh, Neil Ferguson, the um, press of lockdown. As you said, this is this is the guy whose um, predictive modelling uh, caused the first lockdown, not numbers and cases. And also, I believe he's someone who um, got in a bit of hot water because he broke the lockdown that he helped engineer. Yeah, well, he's he's called Professor Lockdown, but another nickname I remember him getting last year was Professor Pantsdown, um, <laughs> or um, I, I wrote a piece about that at the time, actually. It wasn't really the hypocrisy that mattered on this because most people are guilty of that. But I think what was annoying was that it showed that he didn't believe the lockdown was necessary, really. I mean, unless he's just his his mind in terms of his personal oh. life and his work life are completely separate. But surely <laughs> the mind which says we need to lock down or we're all going to die and it's going to be terrible. And the mind which says, oh, I'm going to nip over and, you know, whatever. I'm not going to extrapolate on that. Uh, are not the same it, it seems strange to me that the same mind can think the same two things it's it, it's something that i've noticed constantly throughout the last uh year or so is is um stated preference and revealed preference mm -hmm. whereas you know it's it's high status to be in favor of the most stringent lockdown and everything like that but when you really look at people's um behavior and what that reveals the actual popularity of lockdown in terms of people's actual behavior is is less than uh, I've seen this at university and young people are the most terrified of the virus, despite being the um, the least affected by it. But they're also the most socially conformist group there is and has always ever been. Mm. And um, there's always posts on student social media pages that say, how dare these people break lockdown? But I mean, that actions speak louder than words. Mm. The, the Saturday night, the streets are rammed. <laughs> And of course, there's no clubs to go to. So where are these people off to? Yeah, the 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 the, the first weekend after the uh, the April easing, the parks around the UK were 
chomp to the bit with people. They're, they're absolutely heaving with, with young people socializing and mingling and drinking and occasionally fighting. It's, yeah, it's, um, it, 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 say, which is good to see until you mentioned the fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to see until someone's nose gets broken. Hmm. Yeah, no, um, but going, going, going back in this, um, this, this sort of, you know, uh, this is something that I, I've, I've, I've noticed in the last couple of months really badly is that um, for as long as the current, as long as our current leadership are in, are in leadership, this is never going to end. Hmm. There's, this is going to be a new hurdle, a new variant, a new last minute, you know, thing to set it off. And yeah, going, and going back to my earlier point, for as long as the COVID Act is still enshrined in British law, this is never going to end. Yeah. And the fear is that a temporary ending or, you know, the, the, say if it does come to an end in June 21st, that's not a guarantee that it's not going to come back soon afterwards, maybe even before the end of the year, if there's a, another increase in cases. Um, hmm. Impossible to say. Hmm. But, but one of the one of the other points then from this week um, that has dominated the headlines, which is the second story today, is Dominic Cummings. Um, thrashing assault basically of of the current leadership especially of matt hancock the health secretary uh, in front of a select committee of mps uh, on wednesday i believe or tuesday what did you make of this then his allegations i mean essentially um the point which i think he completely missed or at least got wrong was that all his allegations and and scoldings presumed that lockdowns work whereas you know we, we you know we should have locked down earlier harder mm longer all these sorts of things but uh, there's much evidence at the very least that there's no difference between countries which did lock down and didn't lock down and, and, and some evidence that lockdowns can actually make matters worse in some scenarios so mm. that seemed to me to be his basic flaw um, mm. but what about the accusations he made well i'll 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 start on a few things there it, it wasn't just hancock it was also um the the pm's fiance carrie simmons who are friends of the bow group have um been uh been calling about for for months now um and the other thing to, to point out is that dominic cummings is still a, a part of that uh germophobic british political elite that you know came to prominence after brexit he's just gone rogue um he's still of that ilk he's just gone rogue um but yes dominic cummings uh he was talking at the parliamentary select committee on the on the lockdown um the report which is due to be released next month and it should um tell us whether or not we will get our lives back on june 21st dominic cummings for the most part was uh, again pushing the line of lockdowns and and the, the the recurring circus but he did drop a grenade into whitehall he's been taking jabs at the government and at the civil service for a long time now via his blog um basically since his his dismissal from the, the the government in late last year but yeah but this was he made some very serious uh, allegations against the british government especially during the early days of the lockdown where it seemed that no one was really taking this thing seriously until it was too late which is what he said um but also he accused matt hancock of essentially corporate manslaughter um due to something that, that we, we've seen um, come out in the US with uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, where um, elderly people who are vulnerable to COVID, some even had COVID, were moved into nursing homes, which is, as we know, is one of the one places where the, where the virus spreads the most, to so the most devastating effects. He also claimed that Hancock should have been 
fired for between 50 and 20 offences, including lying to the public. Lying to everybody. Lying to, <laughs> lying to everybody, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. number of occasions. Um, and th- this is this is where it gets interesting. So, so there's an article on the BBC, which um, you guys might, might like. It's uh, five Dominic Cummings claims fact-checked. So, uh, so the 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 uh, our trusted BBC, our dear BBC, is is running cover here. Um, but some of the allegations are absolutely damning. Um, but basically, the, the the British public were lied to by the government for a long period of time during the um, during the weeks where a decision needed to be made um, regarding the first lockdown. Uh, the government was in complete disarray. Um, there was strong factionism among the spads. Carrie, Carrie Simmons was kicking off about a, an article about her dog in the in the paper. Mm. So um, it 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 not only is is it a damning scene of the the government's incompetence, also it, it shows it almost the, the the thick of it atmosphere within Whitehall. It will. Um, I think Cummings as well, before before his sacking and sort of after the Bernard Castle eyesighting trip was um he was he was the bad big bad villain with the with the press and um but now um he's sort of wants to restore credibility by um hammering on whitehall but also um take a take a bit of revenge because on, on the rumor going around that um carrie simmons sort of sort of put a hand on her husband and he and um he pushed him out the door so um he has plenty of motive to um, to do this, but his um, his testimony also shows that there's been two sides of this government. The first was um, the first side, which was the lack of awareness about about the virus, the um, don't care attitude, but and then the sort of the attitude flips entirely to they're very keen on lockdowns. So um, yeah. He also, um, which I, I I I forgot in the first part of my um, my rant on the matter, but um, he he part two coming up. He declared the prime minister to be unfit for office, hmm. which is big. But seeing as seeing how instrumental Cummings was to Johnson's rise to power, I mean, very few people in politics know Johnson during the last four years as well as Cummings. Um, from for him to say that is yeah it's it's um it's a, it's a very yeah it's it's big. Well, I, I have to ask though, how much of this so that allegation uh, sort of which relate largely to personality or or general ability to handle situations is more of a bit of playground. Uh, he threw me out, so I'm going to try and hurt him back. That that's sort of the impression that I got. A lot of this seemed to me to be a little unhinged quite childish. Um, I, you know, I think some of what he said was worth listening to. I think the point on Carrie Simmons is important if it's true, certainly something that needs to be investigated. And as you said, the Bow Group has been pointing this out for a very, very long time. Um, but yeah, I, I must say a lot, a lot of the talk beyond that seemed really to be a bit of tit for tat. Um, and that might just be his style. And people always say that he likes to throw grenades about and we've heard all sorts of phrases since like domageddon or something ridiculous like that um but yeah i don't know i my own take is that it was a bit of tit for tat some serious allegations in there but a lot of things which um i think will very quickly be forgotten about
This this won't damage the, the Johnson Premiership in any meaningful way. No, I don't think so. In fact, this reminds me. This I was given another lesson last night in just how uh, ridiculously uh, pointless polling organisations like YouGov are. Um, report came through. I think it says something like forty percent of Britons are closely following. Uh, the Dominic Cummings uh, Select Committee talk. I thought, what a lot of crap. Like, no more than, what, 5%, do you think, of the population is closely following it? I'd say maybe even less than that. Um, it really shows you that the, the sort of people... would just see a headline on the Twitter newsfeed or whatever and yeah. wouldn't call that following closely in the slightest. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt 40% of people would even know who Dominic Cummings is. They've probably seen his face, but wouldn't know that he was an advisor. Um and I don't blame them for it. I wish I could be in that position. Hmm. I don't think I'd be any worse off for not knowing <laughs> much about him. There's another allegation here that the um, that the that Hancock um, interfered with the construction of the test and trace app as well, which I mean, early on was it was a complete shit show, complete disaster. Um, but it still is. <laughs> it still is. Yeah. One more thing that 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 Cummings went after the government for which is something that we've been saying for for months now is why why at no point did the country close its borders mm. you know we are we are an island despite what the richard iwadi will tell you in the, in the adverts we are we, we are an island you know our our defenses can be secured very easily in a day um you know and and th there was there was damning footage um from from while during the time that italy was being ravaged by the coronavirus where people were entering the uk from italy without any sort of checks in place yeah. um it you know the it didn't need to be this way no and also a, a time when people weren't allowed to leave or go to other places yet thousands of people were coming into britain every day which um, more than anything, just seems unfair, actually, uh, which I think at times is a valuable point to make. Mm, mm. And I think the tie variant came in from um, Egypt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so what, one thing he mentioned is that, um, that Taiwan, which is, you know, on the doorstep of China, um, it closes borders almost immediately. And, and as such, it didn't have an epidemic as bad as... as um, the rest of the world um it 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 understood that yeah that um the first thing to do when a when a pathogen emerges in another country is to secure your borders um the government acted way too late and it's almost to the point where if you are to take the, the government line that all of this is justified i mean i don't hold that line but if you if you if you are to just to play devil's advocate then it's a massive failing on their part, considering that the the conditions for this recurring lockdown and vaccine passports and distancing and rule of six and all this claptrap is could have been avoided if the government was on it earlier and they closed the border. Mm. I mean, it, it 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 would have hit tourism, but I mean, it's but instead everything else was hit. But well, everything, yeah, including yeah. tourism. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly certainly something which is worth. Um... Well, which one of the points that I think actually will be reviewed in, in the um, in the review of the government's handling of COVID. I don't think the implementation of lockdown generally will be, whether or not that was a good thing. But I think actually the its failure to close borders will be a topic which is discussed. So that's one good thing we can pull from uh, the inquiry, or at least hopefully I might even be wrong on that. 
Mm. Um, but anyway, I think if we move on from that story and go on to something else which has been announced this week, um, which is the the upcoming launching of GB News. Now, do, do either of you know when it's actually supposed to launch? I know they've got some of the graphics out, which I must say <laughs> look fairly tacky. Yeah, uh, I think 13th of June is the yeah. date where it's starting. Quite soon then, quite soon. Now, what are your what are your thoughts? I must say, I'm not particularly excited for it. Um, it seems to me uh, that it's going to be, uh, I think you said this, Sam, before we started, basically the spectator on TV, um, which has some good things to say about it. It's not going to be particularly PC um, in, its, in its outlook and may even be anti-woke. But I think beyond that, it's going to be fairly neoliberal uh, quite global in its mm. outlook and not very conservative. Fair enough, a view which is um, that people hold and should be uh, put out into the the, the mm. public discussion. Although I think it's there plenty enough already. Um, but yes, not quite the the pro uh, the pro conservative platform people mm. hoped it might be. I think it's a it's a slight twitch of an index finger in the right direction. In right. that it's you know we we as conservatives do have a certain degree of symbiosis with you know uh, I guess anti woke liberals which is what this seems to be you got you know Andrew Doyle doing you know woke watch or whatever at you know, at at eight pm every night um, it, it, you know it's not fantastic but again you know if if we want you know uh, the the true conservative media is going to come from the grassroots and it's going to come from the internet you know I, I don't think we can really rely on you know corporate tv news channels to you know to to provide that for us we kind of have to make it ourselves here at bornbrook um but yeah you know it's 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 not gonna i i don't think it's gonna be terrible but it's, it's as i was saying before it's just gonna be like the specky on television which as you were saying michael has gotten quite boring lately oh yeah absolutely um well it's just other than the the pages which are anti-woke, which even they are now overly predictable. Uh, there's only so many times you need to read that free speech is a, a threat. Um, beyond that, it's, it's much like uh, most of the other media outlets, in my opinion, um, especially the review section, which is ever more disappointing. Um, but yeah, what about you, Luke? Are you, are you going to be tuning in when it starts? I mean, I, I doubt it. I mean, I hardly listen to these podcasts ever again. But, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I doubt it. I think reason because the popular phrase that was going around other conservative circles is that it's controlled opposition. Right. And um, I think how I think many of us, how we sort of first got into conservative politics, where we started out what we would consider now was very sort of tamed conservatism. Like, this is this is very common in the US. I mean, Prague are you the, the Daily Wire? I mean, to the, the social justice warriors. I know Wicket doesn't want us to use that phrase anymore, but um, <laughs> I don't. But um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's. I mean, people on the left, of course, view it as oh my god, this this is far right takeover of mainstream news. But it it, it would just be very tamed, and um, the only real place of unity it'd have for conservative circles is that it is anti-work but that is yeah. it it'd still be economically liberal mm. it'd still be for open board it'd still be lax on law and order still be very socially liberal um i won't be surprised if they have a rainbow flag in their twitter bio next month mm. my, my yeah. view is that it's going to be basically like a lawrence fox platform mm. which uh is certainly isn't something that i'd look forward to watching 
Yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of you know the left of the real racists. We're the real liberals, and then uh, Tom Harwood telling you why, gen- like hormone therapy for children is conservative. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm expecting. I think it's it's, it's going to be very wet, very milk toast. It might there might be some good reporting objectively about you know sort of non-cultural stuff, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm not like you know holding out a whole lot of hope for GB News. Although I will I will tune in. I'll I'll, I'll give it a fair crack on the first night because um, oh. I, I do you know I I, I like Andrew Neil. I like, I like his ability to. Um, I have respect for him as a certainly as a you know as a businessman. I think he's done a, a lot of good work, and um, it's just as I say, whilst there's some unity, it's not even an attack on GB News. I think yeah, fair enough to it. It's a if it has these views, then go ahead with them. I just think a lot of people mistake it as being something else, mm-hmm. um, and that they might be disappointed. Well, here's the thing, right? Television is a corporate medium. Right, you don't get on television. You don't get you don't get a new channel without corporate backing, and corporations have interests which are generally antithetical to our interpretation of conservatism. It's yeah. going to be you know free flow of movement, free flow of labor, um, just because that's what makes corporations money. So it's going to be seeped in that. There's going to be special interests. There's going to be you know um, probably a degree of interference editorially. And um, yeah, as I was saying at the start, you know we can't really rely on the mainstream or television to to create the content that we want to see we, we have to make it ourselves and we are doing that mm. uh, yeah gb news may, may think it, it is countercultural, but look at all the paper it is joining the mainstream news sites it is to be a, a city-based liberal-based metropolitan they're, news they're, outlet they're poaching think, ju- yeah. but only appeal to city tories they're, they're poaching journalists from sky news from the bbc from you know um yeah, I, I, ITV from Talk Radio, which, as we said in the past, is the absolute lowest caliber of conservative commentary. It's yeah, um, yeah it's it's, it's, it's going to be very tame. And the thing is that they're, I don't think they're going to actively contribute to counterculture, but they're going to self center as, as, as a part of that. You know, because again, you know, when when the crowd starts baying, corporate corporate money goes away like that. You know, yeah. um, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be very tiptoey. Um, I think one good thing that we might hope for, uh, which uh, Mike Pissarus says a lot, is that um, at the very least, even if it's not conservative itself, it might be more accepting to conservative contributors on its programme. So it might be that conservatives are given a bit more time in interviews uh, than they are, say, on the BBC. But which conservatives, though? The, the The ones from... The ones in our circle or the ones from Turning Point and Guido? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think even, I think largely Turning Point, yes. Mm. But still, our sort of conservative will get more of a hearing, even if not as much as these Turning Point types, than they currently do on the BBC. So I think we'll be given a little bit more airtime. Still not what we'd hope for, but uh, I think... Perhaps at a in a position like ours, we take what we can get. Mm. Yeah, that's I, a, I think reaching, reaching I think, for the scraps. Yeah, talking about journalism, Luke. As a miscellaneous topic, um, there's something you wanted to talk about uh, regarding Belarusian politics. So, what, why don't you tell us about uh, some of the one of the other big stories in the news this week? Um, yeah, so it is to do with um, the. Uh, as Ryanair calls the um, state-sponsored hijacking of one of its flights from Athens to um, Lithuania, which was 
carrying um, a Belarusian dissident journalist called Roman Protasevich. He um, is currently in exile and is based in Lithuania, where many dissident Belarusian journalists are. And um, sort of in violation of international law, as the plane entered Belarusian airspace, two jets came towards the plane and escorted it to Minsk airport on the um, on the warning that there was a bomb threat by Hamas. Now, why Hamas would want to target a um, Eastern European airline, I don't know when Israel's shelling it into oblivion. I have no idea. But um, so, yes, it, it, it's clearly um, a very malicious tactic by um, the um, president of Belarus, Lukashenko. And it, it also shows that in this sort of age of an interconnected world that um, dissidents can never really be safe. I mean, of course, in the olden days, you just go across a border and they'd have to send in an army to fetch you. But um, it, it shows that um, so that these types of events can, can become more common in the future where um, uh, very um, ticked off leaders can uh, sort of bend international law and um, fetch its opponents and bring them to heel. Hmm. Was it not was it not a British plane that that was it was um, Ryanair. Well yeah Ryanair flight. So okay, so that's a it's an Irish airline. But I mean still it's um what this story tells me more than anything is that a, 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 a minnow like Belarus is able to divert, you know, an EU an EU airline, which is quite funny. Mm. The EU has decided to hit back with um sanctions and warnings not to fly into Belarusian airspace. Oh, strong worded yeah. letter. I know, a strongly yeah. worded letter. But, oh, but Belarus, at the minute, has is been held up by uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. It, it's Russia's only sort of protection on its western frontier. Yeah, which is um, yeah, which is it is a concern, and it, it, something similar very nearly happened during the the Crimea um, and Donbass affairs with Ukraine, where you have these buffer states between. Um, the Russian sphere of influence and the European Union, which is, uh, yeah, it's um, a new frontier could be opening up on the continent. Mm. Well, on that then, we'll, uh, we'll leave it here for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we hope you join us again next week. Cheers.